everybody, and welcome back. Episode number two of the Trinity Church When We Gather podcast. Hopefully you know by now that in this very strange season that the Lord has brought to our lives where we can't meet with each other on Sunday mornings, we're trying to take the opportunity to talk about why it's so precious to meet together on Sunday mornings and to break down the different things we do when we meet together to explain why they're so important and what goes into the choices that we make about uh, about how to how to organize our time together. Uh, last episode, we talked about congregational singing, and this episode is going to be all about biblical preaching. To, uh, to help me bring to life this wonderful task that God has given to me and to, and to other pastors in our church, I have invited Jonathan Worsley to sit in on this podcast. Hey, Jonathan. Hello. How are you holding up over there across the pond? Yeah, we're, we're, I think we're doing okay. Um, we're in good health as a family. You know, we're very thankful for that. Um, London's been, well, the whole of the UK has been pretty badly hit. We're in the middle of it now. Um, and over 100 people are dying every day in London. So we're very thankful. We praise God for, for good health. We're doing well as a family. Uh, we were ill with colds a few weeks ago, but I don't think we've we've had it yet. So that's good. Um, Sarah is at home and uh, she's homeschooling our three kids now. Um, she hasn't quit yet and the t- kids haven't been expelled yet. So that's good. <laughs> um, I'm still working as editor of a Christian newspaper called Evangelicals Now. Uh, that workload's increased uh, a little bit at this time. Uh, the pastoral load's increased a little bit, just checking in on the older folk in our congregation. Uh, lots of Bible studies and meetups going on on Zoom. I think we've all got very familiar with Zoom in the last few weeks. And um, But preaching prep has actually decreased a little bit because, like yourselves, uh, we're putting out some some older sermons. And, um, yeah, so, th- I mean, in the short term, I think, Things, things, things are great. The members of the church are loving each other well, um, so that's encouraging. And we're on the way to thinking about our, our new pastor at Key. So yeah. So let me back up a minute. And I'm assuming most everybody listening to this podcast knows who Jonathan Worsley is, but just for the sake of uh, clarity, Jonathan is the newly approved, newly invited associate pastor for Trinity Church. Though for now. He's still in his post at Cube Baptist Church in London because we're all desperately waiting on the green card that is keeping him on the other side of the pond for the moment. We are committed to praying for you on our side of things, and it isn't just because of how badly we want to have you here, as badly as we do want to have you here, but because we know the effect that this must have on you and your family and the uncertainty has um, got to weigh heavy. So... Uh, I trust that our friends listening to this are going to devote themselves to prayer for you and your family. In the meantime, we're going to talk about preaching for the rest of this little podcast here. I'm so thankful that you're able to join me, brother, because I just value you as a preacher so much, and you've been such a huge encouragement to me in my own preaching. Um, and so uh, who better then to talk to about the importance of biblical preaching? In our gatherings each week, we build the service up to and then responding to Uh, an extended look at a portion of the Bible. We go verse by verse, week by week, through sections of the Scriptures, trying our best to take 
what the scriptures teach us on its terms and then apply it to the things we're going through in our own lives. That's off, That approach to preaching, that verse-by-verse systematic approach has often been called expositional preaching. We're just today calling it biblical preaching. And I want to start our conversation by talking through what it is that makes this approach to preaching important. Jonathan, I know that's your approach to preaching. It has been in your whole ministry. Um, why is this way of, of, of working through the biblical text important to our gatherings? I think the first thing to say is, and you picked up on it a little bit, is maybe just to define what expositional preaching is. Because what we sometimes mean by verse by verse, people can be confused about. And some people can define it, I guess, a little bit too narrowly. So we don't mean verse by verse as in you have to kind of read one verse and then explain it and then read the next verse and explain it. Right. But I guess what we mean by kind of expositional preaching is that we mean basically centering the sermon on on the bible on on god's word um such that the kind of the the point of the passage is that is the point of the sermon um but that outside that kind of out of the way um i guess there's kind of i guess the kind of two main reasons for kind of expositional preaching is because of the alternatives in, in a sense so in a sense what what my words are and what the bible's words are so with regard to my words and a sermon that's based on my words, well, I say things that are sometimes not not reliable and not are not certain and, and not good. Maybe they're too legalistic. Maybe they're they're too licentious. Sometimes my words are even untrue. Uh, but the Bible's words are the are the opposite of that, because as God's word tells us, all scripture is breathed out by, by God. And so um, the, the Bible is, is God's words and God's words are reliable and are certain and are perfectly wise and and, and holy and, and and good and so I want a sermon that is based on 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 God's words and and not my words and not even John Piper's own words and not even Don Carson's own words and maybe not even Matt McCullough's own words. <laughs> yeah, it's just way safer, isn't it? I mean, that's a one big reason for this approach to preaching. It's safer. Uh, not that we don't bring our own subjectivity to the Bible, and we can still get in the way of it, and we have to work hard to let it speak on its own terms. It, it's not automatic, but when we do that, it is so much safer than relying on whatever we thought was useful to say that week. It's all, there's also an accountability to it, you know, that the, the, the preacher... Uh, the preacher is subject to the same word that he's trying to preach to the people that he serves. Um, the the the, uh, the text stands over me on a Monday morning when I when I begin to get into it and try to figure out what it means. So um, so I don't even start the week knowing what I'm going to try to say. Um, I have to I have to engage the Bible just like everybody else does, and I think that that's just really a helpful discipline for all of us. Yeah, I mean it's helpful and it's and it's and it's joyful because expositional preaching is is well it's expositing. It's kind of like it's fleshing out, it's kind of expanding, it's kind of it's it's clearing it up. Um I often think of it a little bit like um well like, like my son the other day, he came in um from the garden and he kind of found this kind of stone in our garden. He, you know, he kind of loves stones and you know all the things in nature and so on. Um, and um, to me, it's just like just like a stone. Um, but he kind of loved it. And he kind of wanted me to see it. And so he kind of dug it up from the garden. And he kind of cleaned off the dirt. And then he kind of held up to the light. And then he, and he, and he kind of turned it round. Now, to me, honestly, it was just a stone. But um, he kind of wanted to show it in its best possible light. And I think that's kind of what we're doing with expositional preaching. 
because what we wanted to do, we wanted to kind of extract that kind of truth and then clean it up, kind of make it clear for people, make it understandable, and then kind of hold it up in, in kind of all its glory, because we think the Bible's important. And so there's a great, there's a great joy in that, um, as, as well as the discipline of that, as you said. Hey, man, that's where the life is. I, I don't have life to offer anyone. Yeah, but I but I can give myself to, to to washing it up a little bit, cleaning it up, holding it up to the light, demonstrating the different beauties on every different side that you look. I love that image. That's it, that's it exactly. I, I, another thing that that I love about expositional preaching is the balanced diet that it gives us. You know, because the when the word sets the table, it its priorities come to the fore rather than mine. If if I just go into the Bible to try to find supporting evidence for all the things I already want to say, you're just going to get a very narrow slice of what you're going to need. But but the Word, it, it expands our horizons. It takes us to places that challenge what we think, um, that, that we maybe even when we first begin to listen, don't like hearing. And that's so good for us. Yeah, definitely. One last thing I'll say on what makes biblical preaching, expositional preaching important. Um, I think it helps us to keep Christ central to our sermons. Um, Because, I mean, Luke 24, the Bible is all about Jesus. Jesus told us this. It's all about Him. So if we're taking the Bible on its terms, one of the things we're always going to do, using Him as the key to all of its meaning, is try to explain how this text prepares us for or explains to us Jesus and all of his goodness. Yeah. And and I think that in topical preaching, we are going to be maybe not more tempted to moralizing, but we will regularly be tempted to, to moralizing, to just sort of reducing what God has to say to us to, to tips for how to make the most of our lives. And we want we want guardrails to protect us from from going in that direction. And Biblical preaching puts Jesus at the center of every sermon, or it, sh- or it should. That's our task, I think. I, I want to take a step back now for a second. So we've been talking about why this approach to biblical preaching that both of us and both of our churches um, have embraced is the approach that we think is the most healthy and helpful. Uh, but I think we need to se- step back also and, and talk about why preaching as a way of uh, at the center of, of corporate gatherings. What is it about this practice itself that's important because I mean I don't know if you hear if you hear this um, over in the UK but some version of this objection I've heard many times uh, that that you know maybe preaching made sense back in the olden days when nobody had screens and sermons were actually entertaining for the community compared to whatever folks were normally doing with their time you know like plowing fields or watching paint dry or whatever. <laughs> Uh, but now we've got to adapt, you know, because this is the 21st century, and people people think only in little bite-sized nuggets that come at them on screens, and 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 they can't sit there and and listen to you know a monologue at the center of these gatherings. Is that an objection you've ever run into in the UK? Yeah, I mean, I think that's I think that's very much an objection that that we face here as as, as much as the US, and I think it's helping people to see that first and foremost that. That, that preaching is not entertainment. Preaching is listening to the Bible, which is listening to what God says. And so I, I go back to kind of 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. All scripture is breathed out by God. And so if we're preaching expositionally, here is an opportunity to hear God speak. So if I'm kind of, um, you know, in the car listening to my radio, being entertained by that, and a voice comes over the airwaves and says, and now a word from 
the creator god almighty hopefully i'm not going to kind of switch over that point it's not the fact that it's going to be more entertaining it's the fact of who's speaking and that, that and that and that is god and not only that but you know if you kind of think about how that verse continues all scripture is breathed out by god and so it is it is profitable um for um reproof correction training and righteousness and so that continuing on so that the man or woman of god might be can um, could complete, equipped for every good work. So we we need preaching desperately, not only because it's God's word and we need to listen to God, but because we will grow, we will become mature and for every good work. So we're going to put that in reverse without hearing God speak weekly and regularly. We don't hear God's voice. We're going to hear the world's voice all the time and we're not going to be trained. And um, yeah, n- n- People can't do things and, and, and nothing will be done. I think that's behind why that the reality of what you just described is behind why God commands us to preach the word regularly. So the same the same letter that that uh, that tells us how sufficient God's word is for what we need commands that it be preached yeah. in season and out of season. And so so one of the ways that I responded to the objection I mentioned a moment ago is just to say, you know, we we continue to put preaching at the center no matter what changes from culture to culture time to time because God has told us to and it's a way of just of acknowledging that if anything good is going to come out of what we do here it'll be because God decided to give us a good gift in it yeah. and we want to put ourselves in this in the stream of the gifts that he gives we want we want to we want to put everything on him being true to what he's told us and so obeying his command to keep doing this thing no matter how unusual or foolish it might seem um is is a way that we express that truth and that dependence yeah i remember um william taylor who's the minister at st helen's church in london talking about preaching and saying preaching is the lifeblood of the local church amen. i just love that amen image amen Let's talk about the uh, pieces that make up a faithful sermon. What do you? What, what's on your list? Well, you've already mentioned it, but I guess in terms of kind of content, it's, it's got to be it's got to be Christ. We've got we've got to have the, the, the kind of the gospel in in terms of in terms of the content. Uh, Colossians one, we proclaim Him. Um, in terms of from a kind of composition point of view, I guess you've got. Um, there's so many three main parts. You've got exegesis. Those are your kind of foundations. Those are, as you're kind of preparing a sermon, that's kind of what what does it say to them? What, what does it mean for them? And then after that, you've got the hermeneutics. That's kind of the walls that hold up the sermon. Those are questions like, what does it mean for me now? And, and how do I apply this to the people in front of me? And then you've got the, the kind of the homiletics, uh, which to kind of push the illustration might be the kind of the decor, the kind of the thing that makes it a home. And you're trying to kind of communicate truths in a, in a, in a very winsome way. So those are, I guess, the three components as I think about it as a kind of preacher coming to a text. Yeah, yeah, I've got the same on my list. I, I, I was describing it as exegesis and then arrangement of the material to help it get through so that people can understand it and then application of it. But it's the same categories. Speaking of arrangement or, or the homiletics uh, of a sermon, what are you going for when you try to, to put a sermon together into an outline? Well, I kind of start off with a theme sentence, basically, what is this passage about? And then I try and narrow it down to an aim sentence. What in one sentence do I want people to go away with? Um, 
so I, I'm, I guess I'm thinking primarily of application and I'm, everything's, everything's geared towards that, but it's application that must come out of the text. Um, but as I'm sitting down to, to write, I'm thinking, what do I want people to kind of leave wanting to do? How do I want their emotions to be engaged? How do I want them to be praising God as a result of this? Yeah. I think. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, in the arrangement part, part what we're trying to do is show enough of our work and not too much of it, I think. So the exegesis is the digging around in the text to try to make sure we're being faithful to it, that we're understanding on its terms. And that's there's a lot of work involved with that. And we do want to show some of that because we want to train uh, those who are hearing how to do that work for themselves. And we honestly want them to expect that work of us and to have a sense of, of holding us accountable to have done the work to make sure the text speaks on its own terms. But if you just throw all your work at people, it's just, it's too much. It's too much. And and you can't make sense of it. Um, so our job, I think, in arranging the material is to pick the things that are the, that are the most helpful for seeing the main thrust of the text, to, to drawing people to the meaning and significance of it, and then arranging it in a way that it makes sense logically. I mean, when I go for an outline, I've, you know, I, I'm, I still see myself as Lord willing in the earliest days of my life as a preacher, and we'll see, but Lord willing, I'm still getting my legs under me. I certainly feel that way. And early on in my preaching development, at least in my training, uh, I remember often being told how important it was to have a really memorable outline, you know, one that maybe had alliteration or that, uh, that, that had something about it that hooked it into people's minds for good so that they could bring it back to themselves later. And I think I've moved kind of away from that. My, my goal in arrangement of a sermon now is just to make sure that everyone can follow it. I want to make sure that the flow of thought is clear, even if the outline itself is super understated. I'm totally cool. I don't know. I want to hear what you have to say about this. But I am right now, at least, totally cool with a really bland outline as long as it gets the information into people. I think of it as the coating on a pill. I've, I've used this before. Right? Where it, it makes it go down easy, and then it can just dissolve completely so that the medicine gets into the system. I, I want them to, to, to benefit from the text, not necessarily remember the outline that got it into them. What do you think about outlining? Is that your approach? Or you have a different. I think, I, think I, think I think that's really funny because I think actually I'm probably the opposite. So in terms <laughs> of the, the teaching and the training that I got, I was get make sure you get the point of the passage, and so I think a lot of British evangelical preaching is fairly faithful, but sometimes it's a bit boring, it's a bit dry, it's not very memorable. So I think if my preaching's changed in any way particularly, hopefully it's become a little bit more engaging rather than kind of dry and kind of text driven but i think you obviously need both yeah i think there's a lot of good ways to do it i think we're probably also just maybe reacting to different models that we're rejecting yeah and i i'm the most sensitive to the sort of hucksterism that i don't want to project you know i I don't i'm not selling you anything i'm trying to get out of the way of this text i'm not trying to impress you i'm not trying to show you how clever i can be um and and there's a part of it, of my experience of American evangelicalism that that is very much in my mind when when I choose what not to do, uh, maybe to a fault. It sounds like similar for you, just a different. There's just a different uh, what not to do. Yeah, I think that's I think that's definitely right. We'll trust the Lord to use all sorts of different outlining methods, and then I think one of the things I'm really excited about working with it makes me excited about working with you is is just having a different approach that our church can 
learn from and that I can be stretched by and, and, and hopefully shaped by. Let's talk about application for a minute while we're still on the, the what makes a healthy sermon bit here. Um, what kind of applications do you tend to go for? What do you think makes for a good application? Well, I think people sometimes fall into the error of thinking because I've got a, um, a broad audience, I've got to say application that everyone can say amen to. And I don't actually think that's that's most helpful. I'm actually thinking of very specific things that I'm going to weave in. So I might have a kind of a, a, a point, an application point I want to get across, and then I'll just try and apply it through um, for different parts of the congregation. And that's what I'm trying to think. So I, I, I think that specific application is going to be really helpful uh, for people. So that's the first thing I think I'm, I'm really trying to do. Specific, you? specific application meaning, meaning what? The people you're applying to or the thing you're telling them, encouraging them to do? I'm thinking how that main point kind of cashes out Monday morning. Yeah, yeah. If they're kind of, if I'm encouraging us to be loving and patient, then I'm thinking, what does that look like at the school gate for mum who's dropping off her kids, or what that might that mean for the person who's who's retired, who's no longer interacting with with colleagues in the same way? How you know what's that look like for you know the, the college kid? And so that's what I'm that's what I'm trying to do. And and sometimes I have. I have like an application grid. So I'll have a point of the sermon or an application point, And then I'll just think specifically about different members uh, of the of the congregation. And I'll think about what they're going through in life and where they'll be as they seek to apply this. And then I'll start scribbling down some some notes. And I might not use all of them, but um, that's what I'm trying to do. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. I tend to drift towards, gravitate towards applications that aim at our perspective as opposed to applications that go one layer deeper and get to you know, a list of to-dos from the text. I, I don't avoid those. I'm not, I'm not, sometimes I will include applications like that, something real. Here, here's a suggestion. Try this tomorrow. Um, when those appear and they seem really useful and closely tied to the text, I will go there for sure. But my main aim, I think, is to help shape people's orientation to the world in the light of the text how they understand God and themselves and other people around them and their responsibilities and their purpose. Um, it, sometimes that, that approach is called preaching to the heart, not because it's a sentimental approach, not because we're trying to move people's emotions purely, but because in the Bible, the heart is the command center for the person. It's, how, it's the place from which we desire and will and think and then act. And so we want to we hit the command center with God's Word and then those people with the with the perspective of the word are going to be able to decide for themselves a lot of times how to specifically apply it to a, a list of to dos or to don'ts. Um, I think that could be. You know, I, I think one of the one of the things I'm praying about and asking for feedback on is whether or not I err on that side. You know, and need to do more granular. Here's some very specific things to try to do. I think that's possible. I mean, yeah, you always want to be kind of driving towards the heart and what people are worshipping and, and, and those type of things. And then from there, thinking about what the application might look like. Uh, there's, just so many, there's just so many different people. 
I mean, even in a smallish congregation like ours, uh, with actually less age diversity than a lot of churches have, um, and with a lot of folks who do similar jobs and come from similar backgrounds, there's just tremendous diversity in what we need and in where we are. And sometimes I have felt that as a kind of crushing weight. Like, How can I possibly get a sermon that helps all of these different people even the ones who I know are struggling in specific ways, I can't hit all at once, much less all these others that I don't know, uh, where I don't know how they're struggling. And um, and that, that, I think that humbles me and helps me to trust that the Lord is going to have to speak to them, not me, but then also helps me to settle on that perspective level of application where if, if we can just help people to see themselves in the light of the gospel, then we can trust the Lord and, the, and His Spirit in them to, to guide them to some specific applications from that. Yeah, well, you have a congregation of 200. I have a congregation of 20. So there's some of the differences there. <laughs> well, I know, but I've, I've talked to you before. I remember uh, early on in our friendship, we were, we were laughing about how, um, how even you know, 20 people to pastor is too many. Yeah. <laughs> you know, to, to be able to give them what they deserve and what, they, and what you feel com- compelled to give, it feels overwhelming at times. Um. Anything else to say about what makes up a faithful sermon before we change gears? I think we covered a lot of it. All right. Let's talk about uh, about working on these sermons. I mean, these sermons are a big part of our lives, big part of each week. Yep. Uh, big, certainly a, a major presence in our minds and our hearts. Um, is that something you enjoy, or is that something that feels more like a burden? Well, preparing. Just the place that the sermon has in your life, you know, like... In a given week, it isn't just it's something that you pre- prepare in certain office hours, but it lives with us. It lives in us. It weighs on us. Yeah, I mean, I, I love I love preaching. Um, it is it is it is a joy. It is something that, as you say, is is all consuming. You're, you're thinking about it for the whole week. There's an excitement there as you open the scriptures on on, on Monday. At least, at least I do. Um, on a Monday, that's not my day off. So. And, and and there's there's a real joy as you as you come to that text for the first time and and yet at the same time it is it is so weighty isn't it because you're you're thinking about it and you're not only thinking about it for your for yourself and you're weighing up the weightiness of it being God's word but you're thinking about communicating it and then there's the kind of the ticking time bomb of of, of kind of Sunday coming um, so there's there's a real kind of mixture of, of emotions there and at the same time I just I, I, I really love preaching. I, I love the process of, of teaching. Um, I love that. I love the grammar part. I love thinking about God. I love thinking about all the theology that's there. I, I love doing the application. I love being able to think about people. And I, I love just even thinking about illustrations. I, I love the creative side of, of putting together a sermon. Um, and, and, and I love people. And that is why... I want to do hopefully a good job on 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 the sermon because I love my sheep, and um, yeah, that that's that's one of the kind of the, the the primary primary reasons. But hopefully more than that, I I love God, and it's 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 weighty because um, more than the people, I, I I love God and I want to, as we talked about earlier, ec- exalt His Word and see people glorify Him. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I'm resonating with everything you're saying. All of what you've just said are the things I like the most about it. It is it is my favorite responsibility for all those reasons. And yet oftentimes it feels like the responsibility I want to get out from under 
sometimes feel suffocated by in certain stretches because of because of the, the simple fact that I'm not sanctified the way I ought to be so far. When it feels like a burden that's suffocating me, it's because I've either I've either become so disappointed with what I just put out there that I'm afraid I won't be as impressive as I think I ought to be, or I think just as commonly, I've taken too much responsibility to helping people on my own shoulders rather than trusting God to do that for them by His Word. And I think there is just no way what I just put out there is good enough to match what they're dealing with. I know what they're dealing with. Yeah, It is more than what I just gave them can handle. And that it's always a lack of trust, a presence of pride and overconfidence in myself or underconfidence in God that, that takes the joy out of this. Everything else about it, I just love, like you, the, the creative side of it and the, the problem-solving aspects of it and the, just the intellectual stimulation of it. It's, it's, it's great work to do. Yeah. How much time do you spend on, a, uh, on an average sermon? Um, I guess I spend about 24, 25 hours, something like that. I mean, it's a massive chunk of my week. Um, I normally spend Monday morning just looking at the text, just asking questions of the text, doing the exegesis. I won't write an outline, application, anything. I'm just staring at the text. I'm just looking at uh, different versions uh, of, of the text. And then by Wednesday, I might do a little bit of work, maybe five, six hours on outline, some of the application, some of the illustrations maybe. And then I'm spending Thursday and Friday um, writing it. Um, so yeah, I mean, I think if you add up all those things, there's probably 24, 25 hours. I only spent a couple of hours on Sunday morning just reading it, polishing it up a little bit. Um, what about you? Yeah, I I have not tracked my hours on my sermons as closely in the last few years as I did early on. I started out certainly something like what you just described. I think I still hit 20 hours most weeks, uh, though, you know, as our church has grown and the needs have expanded, I've, my time has been squeezed in some ways that um, that have kept me from giving it the time I'd like to. Uh, I think 20 hours, though, is is roughly what I would spend, and I always wish I had more time. I, that's a lot of time to spend, and there are a lot of other good things that we could be doing. We're choosing to spend that much time on our sermons. And, I mean, I have friends in ministry who challenge that choice, you know, who say, because of really good reasons, they say there there are a whole range of other responsibilities that would probably be a better use of your time than giving that much time to your sermon. How do you justify spending roughly half your week, 25 hours, probably roughly half of your work week? I don't know exactly what your work week is, but um, a big chunk, the major chunk of your time on a sermon. Well, I guess first and foremost, we're commanded to do it. We're commanded to preach, as you mentioned earlier. One Timothy four preach the word in season and out of season. It's not something we can just think this is not important, or I'm not going to give much time to it because God thinks it's important. So I think that's the first reason. Um, I also think it's a very good use of time. Actually, I mean, if you've got even even in our own church, we've got twenty members. Um, I mean, if I think about you know an hour each for each person, if I'm working on a sermon. For 20 hours and by the time i've kind of driven out to people had a cup of tea with them chatted opened the bible for, for, for kind of 30 minutes maybe with them i think a better use of my time is to be able to gather everybody together and just very practically and say this is what you know the the word says and to work hard at that so i think there's a kind of very practical element as as well 
but but also i think that hearing god's word together like as a church there is just something precious um about that and so i just really want to be working hard at that time when we're all gathering together to listen to god together yeah amen i mean i um i think what you said a moment ago reminds me uh, i can't remember who i first heard say this but that there's a, a really precious efficiency actually yeah in ministry to focusing all in on the sermon because there's your chance to disciple everybody at once you've got your whole congregation there hearing the same thing and you want to give them something that's worthy that's substantive that's helpful because they're not only going to hear it from you but lord willing as we'll talk about here in a minute they're going to then be sharing it with each other they're going to it's going to uh, filter down into conversations they're going to have later and um so I think it's a wonderful discipleship opportunity that's unique and precious and worth the time. I, I also justify it by as an, as an expression of respect for God's Word and God's people, that giving everything we have to bringing the beauty of this text and the God behind it to the surface is a way of showing how precious this Word is. There is nothing more precious. There's nothing that stands forever in this life except God's Word which stands when everything else withers and fades. And these precious people that God has brought to our ministries, the precious people who make up these congregations, yeah, they are worth everything we can give and then some. Their lives are precious. Their needs are precious. And, um, and so and what else will we do? What else could we do that would be more useful, more worthy than, than this task? Before we wrap up here, I want to talk for a minute about, um, about how... Everyone in the church, all members, can come alongside and help us build a culture of faithful biblical preaching. And what's the role of the member? I mean, in the congregational singing episode we did last time, we talked about how the gatherings that we that we hold each week are services that all of us offer to one another. They're not just you know a service that the professionals up front, up on the stage, offer to those who come to hear them, but everyone is here responsible to offer this thing to everyone else who's there. We talked about some ways that that affects our singing, but let's talk about preaching. So what, what can those who are here to listen do to encourage and, and cultivate this, this practice? Well, I think, first of all, they have to listen well themselves, and therefore, before they start to, to help other people, as hopefully they, they will, they have to do a good job in, in listening themselves. And so that just means practically coming to church um, ready to, to, to kind of hear the Bible taught. And so just very practically, that might mean um, come having read the passage that you know is going to be preached on, um, read it in the week so that you can be ready to hear it. And also so that you can be a, a you know, a Berean, someone who looks at scripture and sees whether um, it is being taught rightly because you know, you and I get it wrong sometimes. And um, so we want we want our members, hopefully, to, to kind of come understanding the passage to to see if it is it is God's word. Um, and I also think we need to to come in a way that is that is, is humble. Um, hopefully we we come expecting to be humbled. Um, and so we're not I mean, I think of times when I've kind of wrongly come to church myself thinking, oh, this is a kind of rookie preacher. I'm kind of listening out perhaps for for error 
or I'm, I'm I'm kind of coming maybe with all the things about the text that I already know or, or I already apply well. Hopefully we're coming and we're ready to be humbled to think these are the things that I, I, I'm, I'm hearing God say to me that, that I need to change. Um, and so I think that that's the first thing is thinking about our, ourselves and, and how we kind of come to church and how we prepare to hear God's word taught. Yeah, I would add to that um, preparation piece to please pray over our sermons in advance because it is a huge weight to carry. Um, it's too much for us who preach to carry on our own. I mean, everything that matters to us is going to depend on God's power. It won't work without Him. And so no matter how much time we put in, from 10 to 25 hours, it won't be enough to accomplish what we want to see accomplished. So please pray for us and pray for our sanctification, I think, in our preaching, that we would, I would enjoy the work of preaching so much more if I were more holy. <laughs> because I would be freed from the burden, freed from my own disappointment in myself, freed from the burden of, of changing people myself with my own ingenuity or power, and just free to stand up and let it rip for his name's sake, trusting in his power. I would like that. I would enjoy that more. So pray for us and our hearts as we preach, I think. Um, so what we've talked about so far is the things people can do on the front end of a sermon to prepare. I think it's also worth talking about on the back end how we can build this culture around biblical preaching because one of the things we're praying towards is that is that the sermons are not just in-the-moment entertainment that, you know, once it's over, you go ahead and click play next episode and, and you move on, but but that you sit with them and marinate in what you've heard and then share what you've heard with others. Um, we talk about, uh, there's the, the book God-Centered Church, I think is what it's called now. It used to be called Reverberation by Jonathan Lehman that a lot of our groups have, have read over time. He talks about how the Word of God echoes out through every part of the church's life and one image that I've used before in trying to apply that is, is this chamber called an anechoic chamber that's over at the, uh, the ear, nose, and throat area of the Vanderbilt Hospital in the lab there. And some of our friends at Trinity have worked over there before. And it's this bizarre thing where you go in and it's, it's completely muffled on all sides, even the ceiling and the floor. And you speak and you, you almost can't hear yourself because there's no echo. If you turn your back on someone else who's in there and you both speak in opposite directions, you won't really hear one another speak at all. It's just completely absorbed and lifeless. And unfortunately, sometimes that's the way our response to sermons can be, that it, it goes out and then just disappears. And what we're praying towards is a vibrancy of conversation on the spot right after, but then even through the week in groups and in friendships and in families and um have you seen any? Do you have any tips for people about how to run with a sermon once they've heard it? Yeah, I mean, I've seen um, folk in previous churches do one to ones with other people, uh, or even have their small groups based uh, on the sermon preached. And I think that's a really good thing. I mean, I'm not saying that's the only thing you should necessarily do in in small groups or one to ones. There's there's obviously lots of things that you can do, but I think that's a great thing to be able to. You know, maybe on a kind of Monday, Tuesday morning, grab breakfast with someone, grab a coffee with someone and say, let's just talk for five, 10 minutes about how we might apply that sermon, what struck us about it, and then to pray it through with another person. What a wonderful thing that would that would be. Um, and, and that would be massively encouraging um, for, for us. I think about the things that I'm most encouraged by. It's hearing people are, are applying it and wanting to get together to apply it. It's not 
you know, that was a very nice message. Yeah. Thanks very much. I want to see people apply it to their lives. That's what gives me the most joy. Amen. Is preaching. Amen. Amen. Well, brother, this conversation reminded me of why I'm so happy you're coming here, why I'm so eager to sit under your ministry, and why I'm praying regularly that God will free you up to come back to come over here uh, through this uh, this immigration process. I know all my friends here are going to be praying the same for you. If you've got any levers you can pull, I don't know, politicians to pay off, just please just do it. Just do whatever you got to do to get over here. And in the meantime, we'll be praying for you. Thanks for thanks for sitting in on this conversation, brother. Thanks, brother. See you soon. Cheerio.